Don't worry. It moves fast. Really? Hi, welcome to McDonald's. May I take your order? Yeah, give me a uh, hamburger and French fries and a Coca Cola. That'd be 35 cents, please. Great. 15 cents is your change. Here you are. What's this? Your food. No, no, no. I just ordered. And now it's here. You sure? All right. Where are the, uh, you know, silverware and the plates and everything? You just eat it straight out of the wrapper and then throw it all out. All right. Okay. Where do I eat it? In your car? At the park? At home? Wherever you like. Okay, 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 thanks. Speed! That's the name of the game. The first stop for every McDonald's hamburger is the grill. Manned by two cooks whose sole job it is to grill those all-beef beauties to perfection. Meanwhile, as the patty cooks, our dressers get the buns ready. Watch out. Burger crossing. Burger crossing. Burger crossing. Burger crossing. Every McDonald's burger has two pickles, pinch of onions, and a precise shot of ketchup and mustard. Now, where'd you get those? We made them. Made them? Yeah, custom built. Whole kitchen is. Next is the finishing station where we put the whole thing together. And voila, a fresh, delicious burger from grill to counter in 30 seconds. Did you come up with this? Oh, I didn't. We did. Dick McDonald, my brother. Hi. Boy, I gotta tell you, this is the most mess I smoke it. The fries. What about them? They're 5% too crisp. Oh, they're perfect. I think we should drop to 2 minutes 50 seconds. Wasn't that what we were at before? 400, not 375. Higher temp, shorter cook. I think they're spot oh, on. Excuse me, may I? None of my beeswax, but I'm with the big fella here. I love them. Golden brown on the outside, fluffy white inside. Mm -hmm. And they're uh, not too oily, salty, crunchy. Oily. Who are you? Oh, this is Ray Kroc, the multi-mixer fellow you spoke to. When do you figure we can expect them? Uh, sent the blue label air, so Good, I'm... good. Made them hey, for better. Hey, wait, 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 wait. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I want to take you out to dinner. You're really not my type. <laughs> you and your brother. What for? This is the most remarkable restaurant I've seen in all my years in the food service industry, and I've seen it all. I want to hear your story. 35 cents for a burger and fries and a Coke? That's a pretty good deal. Welcome to Hope, everybody. I'm glad you're here worshiping with us this weekend. We've got a unique format. Uh, some other folks on stage with me. I'm excited for you to meet them. Uh, that movie uh, is uh, called The Founder, came out a couple years ago, and it tells the true story of how the McDonald's franchise came to be and was invented. And um, it's, a, it's an interesting movie, funny movie. It's kind of sad if you've seen it, but um, the, the thesis really behind it is that, that you have a story. All of us have a story to tell. Things that God has done in your life, experiences, circumstances, hardships, gifts, abilities, even your relationships that God has used to shape you into the person you are so that you can impact the people around you. That's the missional 
uh, impulse for all of us as followers of Jesus that God has built you, created you, to impact the lives of other people and to share God's love with them through your unique experiences and your story. Over this last month, we've been uh, processing the story of the life of King David through First and Second Samuel, and that's been a great journey. We've seen a lot of the different, uh, again, unique experiences and gifts that God gave David to, to create in him the leader who he was, and no, no real... Uh, a message series about David would be complete unless we talked about leadership. David was arguably one of the most gifted leaders in all of Scripture. He, he was the second king of Israel, and he personally oversaw one of the greatest cultural, political, spiritual expansions of that kingdom and unified what was a bunch of different tribes all scattered around into a, a cohesive unit that was growing and, 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 again, spreading the love of God around the world at the time. And so uh, leadership after David would never be the same. In fact, God promised David, because of the unique relationship that they had and uh, because David was such a man after God's own heart, God promised him that somebody from the family of David would sit on the throne forever, that, that his family would not cease to rule. And so when Jesus sent, when God sends his son Jesus into the world to be the, the king of all the nations all over the world forever and ever, the son of God, the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus is born in the line of King David. Now, that doesn't mean that David's experience was without mistakes, was without hardships, low points. We've been pretty honest over this last month, if you want to go back on the podcast and listen to some of the things we've talked about, the mistakes that David made and, and the things that he had to go through because either he screwed up or because the circumstances around him were difficult. And it's important to reconcile those things because none of our lives are perfect. None of our lives go the way we think that they're always going to go. There are different things that we experience. But what made David such a great leader, not just a good leader, but a great leader, was he was willing to learn from those mistakes and make adjustments. That he just didn't stay stubborn and, and keep to his own way. He learned from the things that he went through and, and he changed. Uh, Steve, um, uh, Rick Warren, who's a pretty well-known pastor out in California, wrote The Purpose Driven Life, said that you are a product of your past, but you're not a prisoner of your past. And I think that David really knew that, that, that those experiences that he had in his past that were hard, that were difficult, helped create in him the person that he would later become, the, the great leader that he was. And that's true for each and every one of us. You know, that God has used the different experiences in our lives to make you who you are now, and it's not finished. Maybe right now you're going through a season where you feel like you're being stretched, where God is, you know, having you go through some difficult circumstances, and right now it's unpleasant, but looking scripturally at what can happen later on down the road, sticking through those things, uh, God can bear tremendous fruit in your life. I uh, get to lead the South Africa mission team coming up in October. Pete mentioned that earlier. If you want to talk more about that, I'd love to get you connected with that missions opportunity. There's an African proverb that said, calm seas make bad sailors. God is using the experiences of your life to refine you and to, to build you up as, as a gifted leader. One of my favorite leadership stories in the life of David is one that doesn't get talked about a lot. It happened late in life. So, so David uh, ruled for about 40 years where he was actually the, the king that was settled and established. And uh, towards the end of that 40-year reign, his son Absalom decided he wanted to take over the kingdom and he raised up his own army and went to civil war with his father. And so during this conflict, as, as David's armies are fighting with his son's armies, and, and that, that didn't work, the civil war was put down and David finished out his reign until the end of his life. But during that civil war, David was traveling around to different villages and towns around Jerusalem. And he came to one one day where a lot of Saul's family still lived. So Saul was the king before David. And a lot of his family were still around. And, and so one of Saul's relatives, a man named Shimei, saw that David was coming on the road to their town 
with his advisors and some of the people traveling with him. And he comes out of his house and he starts throwing rocks at David, just picking up stuff off the ground and throwing them at David and yelling insults at David, saying things like, this is what you get. This civil war is God punishing you for all of the bloodshed that you caused in my family. Saying, now you're getting a taste of your own medicine, David. You have this coming, and God is punishing you for what you did. And he keeps throwing these rocks and yelling at David. And finally, the people traveling with David get upset, and they say, can't we just go kill this guy? I mean, I know he's throwing rocks, and rocks beat scissors, but we've got swords, so maybe that'll work. Can we just go cut off his head? And David actually says, no. No, the king said. Second Samuel 16. If the Lord has told him to curse me, who are you to stop him? Then David said to his servants, my son is trying to kill me. He's talking about Absalom. Doesn't this relative of Saul have even more reason to do so? Leave him alone and let him curse me, for the Lord has told him to do it. And perhaps the Lord will see that I'm being wronged and will bless me because of these curses today. So David and his men continued down the road, and Shimei kept pace with them, cursing and throwing stones and dirt at David until they got home to the Jordan River. The entire way home, this guy just kept following him and throwing stuff and yelling insults at him. Now, maybe earlier on in life, when, when David was writing these psalms about revenge and getting even and all of his enemies being put to death in some gruesome ways, I wonder if over the years, David learned that God is a God of peace, who cares more about peace than violence. Or maybe if we go back to the David who, uh, like we talked about last week, fell massively in his affair with, with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband. Years later, I wonder if David learned the importance of humility in leadership. In the face of criticism, in the face of even attack, that David trusts God enough to say that something good can come out of this. And maybe he's not wrong. Maybe I should hear his insults as a leader. And that's the important part that leadership has for all of us, wherever you're at in life. And so uh, our panel is going to share their stories, the experiences that they've had growing them to where they are right now. I'm going to let them really introduce themselves. Um, but just really quick, Christy Schmall is going to speak to us. She's our Hope Kids director. She's been on staff here over two years. But before that, she had a lot of experience directing and leading Christian camps. And, and uh, we know that this weekend is Family Worship Weekend. And uh, a lot of kids are in the room. And we want to talk to you, children, about your leadership journey even now. David's leadership journey started before he was even a teenager, and God has things to say about kids and us as parents who can learn how do we equip the next generation of leaders starting right now. Doreen McVeigh is on our panel. She is, uh, has years and years of experience in the corporate world and now runs her own um, uh, leadership consulting business where corporations seek her out to help them learn how to lead their employees better. And I'm, I, I love what she has to say about personal accountability and leadership, leading your own self as an individual. And then finally, Todd Sommerfeld is going to talk to us. Todd is the CEO of Craig Tools, um, and he's going to talk to us about all the things that God has shown him integrating his spiritual life with every aspect of his life. Um, and, and more than that, uh, Todd and his wife Amber are also a, a key part of our prayer team here at Hope. And so I'm just excited for you to be able to, to hear their stories uh, before they start talking. Let me pray for them, and, and we'll keep going. God, thanks so much for the time you blessed us with today. Thank you for uh, everybody's story in this room. God, I pray that, that in these moments where we're listening to uh, different lessons that people have learned, that you would speak, Holy Spirit, into our hearts about the things that we can take away from this, ways that you're causing us and calling us to grow as your followers, God. Open us up to receive new messages about ways that we can live differently than how we were when we came in this room today. We give this time to you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Yeah, my name is Christy Schmel, and I'm the children's ministry director here, and I've been here for about two and a half years, and I've loved 
getting to know all the kids out here um, and part of this church, but also the amazing volunteers that help with all aspects of children's ministry. We have fantastic leaders and role models for our youth, so thank you if you are part of that. Um, couldn't do it without you. So uh, when Eli asked me if I would talk about leadership, I was like, well, what do I share? I don't have any big story. Um, and then I thought, well, I know kids. So what do you guys want to know as kids um, that would relate to, as, um, to adults and ties in with David? And I thought of this story that you guys talked out about at the very beginning of this sermon series. When Samuel was looking to anoint the next king, these are the words that God said to Samuel. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Um, and David was selected to be the next uh, king, even though he was the youngest of the sons, so that was unexpected. Uh, did he have everything he needed to be, um, to, to be a leader at that moment? For sure not. But he had a heart focused on God, and that's the key to anything. Everyone, no matter who you are, no matter your age, can serve as long as you have a heart focused on God. I was telling my mom I was going to come share with you guys about leadership, and I said, Mom, when was the first time I um, was a leader? And she shared this story. She said, Christy, when you were little, you were so shy. You would hide between my legs or your dad's legs when anyone would try to talk to you. She said, when I would never picture you doing the job you have today um, when you were three years old. And she said, but the Christmas program happened, and that's where things change. She said, uh, you were nervous to sing with your preschool group at the program, but I encouraged you and said you can do it. And then she said, I told you, sing loud so I can hear you. Well, when it came time to sing, not only could she hear me, but the whole congregation could hear me. Um, and they saw the joy that I had um, for God and for music. And my mom uh, decided that this is a gift that God had given me and wanted to encourage me um, to grow in that gift. So she signed me up for the children's choir. <laughs> and, uh, and so I had um, an opportunity to grow in my confidence, but also um, to lead. And I got uh, sang solos and just had a blast using the gift that God had given me. So we're more successful to be leaders if we use the gifts that God has blessed us with and trying to do, uh, use the gifts that other people have that might not work for us. Uh, and David is a great example of this in the story of David and Goliath. Hope Kids just talked about this last weekend. In 1 Samuel 17, uh, Saul says, okay, David, if you want to go fight Goliath, here, use my sword and my helmet, um, put it on. And so David put it on and he realized, I, this doesn't fit me. I don't know how to use this. It's not going to work. So he took it off, and then he went to the river and took five smooth stones from the stream. And he put it in his shepherd bag, and he went off with his shepherd's staff in his sling. He used the gifts that he was given and he had um, been trained to do versus using this equipment that he didn't know anything about. Uh, and we're encouraged to do the same. I was fortunate enough to have some other leaders in my life who encouraged me to use my gifts and passions for God. Uh, my student ministry leaders at my church lived just down the road from me when I was growing up, and they would see me ride by their house every day on my bicycle, because I loved biking back then. Uh, and one day they stopped me and they said, hey, Christy, how can you use this passion you have for biking for God? 
that's a huge question. And I was like, I don't know. But then I thought about it and I realized there were other kids in my youth group who liked to bike as well. So maybe we can do a bike trip together as a youth group. And, they, and I told them that and they said, great, go plan it. And I'm like, oh, what? Okay, I'm 15 years old. I'm supposed to plan this weekend trip. Uh, but they were amazing leaders and didn't leave me alone. They supported me along the way and helped me think of maybe the supplies we needed and what other activities we were going to do besides biking. And they even um, came up with some names of people who could help with transportation. Uh, the, the two people with the arrows, those were my youth leaders, and they made a huge difference in my life. Um, I was so thankful that they didn't leave me alone but helped me out. Now, David... Um, um, did not have a great mentor in Saul. Saul was not there for him. But Saul's son, Jonathan, was wonderful um, and supported him along the way. Not only did um, Jonathan say, here is my sword and my um, tunic, use that. But then Jonathan asked this question, which I think is super important for leaders to do. Jonathan said, tell me what I can do to help you. As leaders, that's a great question for us to remember, to ask others what can I do to help you? Well, we did this bike trip for two summers, and it was a blast. Um, but I thought, maybe we need to change it up a little. And I read that the um, Lutheran Bible camp on the other side of the state was having a week-long trip. And I'm like, that sounds really fun. So I gathered up some of our youth um, in our church, and we went out to the Black Hills of South Dakota uh, and biked for a week. There we are, yeah. And I was the only girl, by the way, and it was super fun and girl power. So had a great time. Uh, not only did I uh, fall in love with the Black Hills, but I also fell in love with camping ministry uh, and went back a few years later and, and worked there uh, on staff for several summers. Uh, and I learned a lot, especially that first summer. One thing I learned is that middle schoolers are okay to work with. There's me with middle schoolers, not as smiley as I usually am. They're okay, but I learned that I love working with elementary age kids. Um, and I had an opportunity to do that often because the camp um, did VBS um, at local churches around the area. And so I got to go participate. Um, I did went twice um, and had fun. And then um, the directors of the camp said, hey, Christy, would you be willing to lead the next um, VBS at the next church? Um, and I'm 19 and leading staff who are my age or a little bit older than me, plus working with the church staff, that was a big responsibility. And I was nervous and wasn't sure how it was going to go. Well, it, the first time, it wasn't perfect. It was a little messy. Um, you can see. Uh, you know, the thing I learned the most, um, that I struggled with the most, was who knew when it came to worship time that you should plan what songs you were singing and the message, the sermon, before worship actually started? I didn't. I didn't realize that. And uh, so when it came worship time, the kids were just running all over the place while us staff were trying to figure out what we were doing. And it was not perfect at all. And I felt like we failed. And so I went back to camp and talked to the directors and I said, I am so sorry. Um, it did not go well and, um, and I just failed. And they said, Christy, it's okay. You're human. 
you are going to make mistakes. Um, We all um, aren't perfect. But God is loving and forgiving and gives us second chances. And we should do the same. Uh, And so instead of just saying, you can't lead again, they gave me another opportunity to go lead uh, another team of VBS. But before they sent me, they gave me some good tips and skills about worship and just other things that would help um, make the week more successful. And I was so thankful for that. David was not a perfect leader as well. He messed up many times, but he had a repentant heart and came to God uh, asking forgiveness. And and God always forgave David and gave him second chances uh, to continue to go forward. Uh, And God is always with us no matter what we're doing and will give us chances to keep trying again and using our gifts and skills um, to go forward. So here's what I want to leave you with, a few questions to ponder. What gifts and passions do you have, and how can you use them for God? And adults in this room, think of the youth who are in your lives. Maybe they're your own children or grandchildren. Maybe they're your neighbors. What gifts do you see in them? And share that with them. And then ask them these questions. What can I do to help you? How can you help them grow in their skills? For everyone, think about an area in your life where you're leading. Maybe it's at school um, being a line leader. Maybe it is um, in your job helping a new person come aboard. What struggles are you having with leading, and how can you give that to God? And last, remember this. Everyone, no matter your age, can lead as long as you do it with a heart focused on God. Thank you. Well, good morning, Hope. Um, My name is Doreen McVeigh, and my husband, Kirk, and I have been coming to Hope for the last three years since we moved to Ankeny. Uh, We moved here to support parents who were in this area, and we just also felt it was a time in our life where we were ready for a transition. So we came to Hope and felt very welcomed and found it to be a place of, of great growth for us spiritually, and we've never left. So as I look back um, on these three years, uh, Eli asked me to talk a little bit about leadership, and my experience in leadership has been primarily in corporate America. I've worked for two companies over 28 years. I worked for AB Electrolux for seven years, an appliance manufacturer, and then I also worked for uh, Rockwell Collins in Cedar Rapids, Iowa for the last 21 years. And I've had a lot of different uh, leadership experiences in both those organizations. I feel like I've learned a lot of great leadership lessons, but it's really been the last five years that I wanted to spend talking about leadership in the Christian frame of reference. Uh, So about five years ago, I felt really stuck, and I wasn't really sure why I felt stuck. Um, I think sometimes God gives us those nudges to move us in a different direction, Uh, and sometimes they feel more like pushes off the cliff, Um, But in my case, it was just this feeling of being unsettled. And so I was um, very familiar with Jeremiah 29, 11, which says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And I believe that, um, but really what I wanted that scripture to say is, I know the plans I have for you, here's the end destination, here's the steps you're going to take along the way, it's going to be really easy, and I'm going to come along with you. So, um, we, But we all know God doesn't 
doesn't work that way. So I was spending a lot of time in prayer personally, and there's two messages that really came to my heart at that time. The one was um, pay attention to all areas of your life. It wasn't just about what that next job was. And I tended to be about, you know, what does that mean from a career perspective? And it really was about looking at my whole life. And then the second message that came to me was just enough light for the step you're on. Just take it one step at a time. And I think so often we want to look outward, and God tells us over and over in the Bible, you know, just rely on me one step at a time. Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. In the Lord's Prayer, he says, give us this day our daily bread. And so we know that he just wants us to walk in this journey one step at a time. So being the process-oriented person I am, I took that message and I said, okay, how can I put that into practicality? And so I looked at all areas of my life, and I really looked at um, financial, physical, emotional, relationship, professional, and spiritual. And I put down one to two things that I was going to do in each area of those uh, in each area of my life for the next 31 days. And I posted that on my bathroom mirror. And a funny thing happened. It was the first time I felt like this positive momentum in my life. So at the end of 31 days, I said, hmm, I'm going to do that again. So I put another 31-day plan together for me. Fast forward, I've been living that way for the last uh, almost five years, 31 days at a time. Now I put a plan uh, next to my computer in a frame. At the end of 31 days, I take it out. I'm kind of old school. I give myself a letter grade, A, B, C, D, or F. I always say I'm an easy grader, <laughs> and I grade on a curve. And so um, I put all my plans plans in a file, and at the end of the year, I usually have about eight throughout the year, I pull them out at the end of the year, and I look at the ways I've been able to put positive momentum in my life in accordance with where I think God wants me to go. And that was such a powerful personal process for me that two years ago when I decided to step out of corporate America and open my own business in leadership and personal coaching, I named my company around that process. It's called I Thrive 31. And the I stands for personal accountability or being able to control the areas in our life that are right in front of us. The Thrive stands for just that overall spirit of well-being, being able to thrive at work and at home. And I remember when I was feeling stuck, that song that we sang in the offering by Casting Crowns, and thank you to the praise band for singing that, um, it was in my head all the time. So I think sometimes God does that with music in our hearts, and it's always on, whether it's on the radio, on our playlist. And so that song by Casting Crowns, we we're meant to not just survive, but to thrive, was in my face all the time. So Thrive stands for being able to thrive in all areas of your life. And then 31 it stands for just enough light for the step you're on, what's right in front of you. Um, so that's a little bit about my process. And I stand here five years later. I don't feel stuck anymore. Um, I'm not sure the direction, but I'm taking it with God. And as I look back to that process of five years, it's not been easy. And I don't think God ever promises easy, but he does say to rely on him. So I'm going to talk about the three lessons that, that I think I've learned. And the first is to trust in God's plan for your life. I have to trust that he has a plan for my life, and I have to lean into what that plan is. There are some things that have gotten in my way, and I'm sure um, it can get in everyone's way, but one of those is fear. I think fear is Satan's greatest tool, and sometimes the, the fear that to hold us back. And as I look at my journey, fear of stepping out into my own business, fear of moving to a new city, 
Um, quite frankly, fear when Eli came and said, hey, I want you to talk about leadership. Uh, that was a little bit of fear. So I do think God calls us to be bold and courageous and step up to where he has for us to go. So overcoming fear. The second thing is um, waiting. And it's hard for me to wait. And a lot of times I'm called to be patient which is not a strength. And so in that process of waiting, though, he's crafting me, shaping me, molding me for right where I need to be, and I have to trust in that. And the third thing that sometimes can get in my way is obedience. There are many ways that God tells me what he wants me to do, whether that's biblically or through the Holy Spirit. And sometimes uh, I don't, I'm not always obedient. So I'm so grateful for his love and grace and mercy in my life um, to be able to forgive when I'm not as obedient as I should be. Uh, the second leadership lesson that I think I've learned along this way over the last five years is really paying attention to the journey and being present in the journey. We want to be focused on the destination, end destination, but the journey is just as important. And if I'm hurrying up to get to that destination, I'm not paying attention to all the amazing things that are happening every day in my life. And I, I think it's easy to get focused on the obstacles and the roadblocks and the challenges, but really what's in front of you, the people I've met, the experiences I've had, the ways that he's been working, if I lose sight of that, I can't see all the blessings and the way that he's molding um, my journey. Uh, so the third lesson that I think I've learned along this path is making an impact wherever you're planted, whether that is corporate America, owning your own business, whether that's in our churches, our schools, or our homes, we are called to make an impact. And he makes it really simple for us. He says the greatest commandment is to love him and love others. Simple. And we make that a little bit too complex. So I think making an impact for whatever garden you're planted in, for whatever moment you're planted in, is really what he's calling us to do. Very early in my leadership career, I went to a leadership class, and they told the story of the starfish, and it has stuck with me ever since. And it goes like this. Um, a young man was walking on the beach, and he was throwing starfish into the ocean. The tide washed in the starfish and had gone out for the season. And um, an observer was watching him and went over and said, young man, what are you doing? And he said, I'm throwing the starfish into the ocean so that they won't die. And the observer laughed, and he said, you can't possibly get all these starfish. There's thousands and thousands on the beach. And the young man bent down, picked up a starfish, and threw it into the ocean, and he said, I made a difference to that one. And that's what I think we're called to do, is make an impact to the, where we're planted, um, who's right in front of us by being Jesus on this earth. So those are my leadership lessons, um, trusting in God's plan, paying attention to the journey, and making an impact wherever you're planted. Well, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. So my name is Todd Sommerfeld. I am a husband, a father, and the CEO of Craig Tool Company. Those are the places I lead. Craig Tool is a business in Huxley. We make consumer woodworking tools in the DIY home improvement space. The business is 30 years old. I've been there for now 20 years. When I, took, when I, when I got there 20 years ago, there was 12 people there. I took over from my father as the president of the company in 2005, there's about 40 people there today. There's about 250 people in our Craig family. So God has blessed us. We've continued to grow through the years, and I've been uh, uh, 
It's been honored to be a part of that. A lot of leadership lessons along the way. I've invested a lot in my own leadership and leadership of the company, probably hundreds of thousands of, of dollars actually in the last 20 years on leadership. So, but I got like eight minutes to share with you. So I'm gonna boil it down to what has been probably the most impactful for me is in terms of leadership. And really what I'm gonna to talk to you about today is vulnerability. Could be a little emotional intelligence in that as well, but it's really about vulnerability. And I'd say I've heard about vulnerability for, for those 20 years plus in the business world, in the church leadership world, vulnerability is a big, big word. I wanna invite you into a little process that I've been through over the last three years to unpack how, what I've learned about vulnerability and myself. And so where that started for me wasn't actually, not really in the business world, it was about three years ago, I ran into a gentleman who was, he's, he does marriage coaching, uh, among other things. I, I met him for coffee, uh, a one-hour coffee turned into about a five-hour coffee, and I went home from that, and I, I told my wife, Amber, I said, Amber, I, I think we should do some marriage coaching, and what do you think about that? She starts bawling, crying, and I'm like, hmm, I will take that as a yes, let's sign up for that. <laughs> so... So we signed up for that, and, it, and really a flashpoint moment for me when it comes to vulnerability, it was the first day that we were with, it was a two-day kind of intensive, we were in our living room, and about halfway through the day, the, the gentleman, there's a married couple coaching us, and he said, Todd turned to Amber, Amber turned to Todd, and he said, Todd, look Amber in, the, in her eyes and tell her how you feel about whatever it was we were just talking about in that moment. And... That, that looking at my, my wife in the eyes, I probably, tears probably started welling up in my eyes because I really wanted to tell her what was on my heart, but I, was, I, was, uh, I told myself I didn't know. I, I don't know what I'm feeling. I uh, can't tell you what I'm feeling. So I worked through some different things the best I could because it was, it was, I had some accountability. People were watching me try to say something, and I fumbled through it, but it did a lot in, in, in the brain and my whole self that I wanted to know more about. And so somehow I ended up, in an executive coaching program, it was an online program where I was, I'm, I'm a certified executive coach now, but I was in this program really because I wanted to learn more about what it was that coach was doing to me because I'd like to do it to other people because that's kind of cool, even though I didn't know what it was yet. So I signed up for this program and, and a lot of papers, I had to write a lot of papers. The first paper, the first session was a paper from a book called Hiding from Love. And the idea of this paper was to write about your character deficit. So my emotional character deficit, and I had to read this book and figure out of the four key areas where we have deficit issues, where, where, where was mine? There's about 40 different descriptions that John Townsend gives in that book of what you might be. And I came across one that really resonated with me, and I wrote my paper on uh, being an admiration addict. And so this is what an admiration addict is, and it resonated with me. So though on the outside the addict appears to be extremely confident in, in his talents and abilities, he is quite frightened he will actually be known to others. The admiration addict can never relax. He's always vigilant to look and sound good to others. The contrast between the real self and the false self is immense. And so I, I, I read that and I started kind of crying. I was like, oh, I'm going to have to write a paper on this. And that real self and that false self really, I, I realized that when I was sitting there with Amber, I was, I was hiding. There was this false self that I'd been projecting that I didn't want her to see, apparently. 
unfortunately for me in this process, the cure to that is to show others your bad self. Uh, the cure being they can then re give you love in return, and that cures you from these, in this case, admiration addict. What I had to learn about, what, what does that look like? Uh, Brene Brown actually talks about uh, shame and vulnerability. And she does a couple TED Talks. Uh, she talks about guilt, guilt being I did something bad, and shame is I am something bad. And so as I was in this process group in California with these other executive coaches in a circle, kind of working through that, about the fourth session in, after I'd been sharing a lot of things, I finally shared something that sounded uh, more authentic than transparent. So I learned a little bit about transparent and authentic communication later on when applied to this situation. Transparent, I will tell you what's going on. That's what I thought vulnerability was. I will tell you uh, what's going on in my life. I'll tell you um, how things are affecting me, and hopefully you'll connect that pain. But authentic communication takes that one, one step further and a key step, and authentic communication is here's how it makes me feel. And if I don't share that or we don't share that, then the other person really can't connect to how I feel. I hope you could connect to, but it just doesn't happen. And I learned that in this, this circle with other folks, uh, the shame that I was feeling was I'm a bad son. So growing up in this family business, the Sommerfelds have a lot of identity wrapped up in work. I'm sure none of you have your identity wrapped up in work. But we did, and we did a lot of battling. And, and over the years, there was some, some problems and issues with our relationship that I felt like a bad son. And I realized there, in that process group, that's the first time I ever shared that shame with anyone. I feel like a bad son. And not only did I feel like a bad son, but there was, there was moments and times in my life where I felt like a bad husband, I felt like a bad father, I felt like a bad friend. And I didn't realize that voice, what it was doing to me inside my head, and I think that's what I learned over the years that I was hiding from. I was hiding from that voice. And, and so this program, this process of teaching other people really had an effect on me of learning how to share these things with other people so that I could receive love in return. I, I started doing that in a lot of aspects of my life, a lot of times that would come with pain and some tears, which is very, very healing. And I wanted to heal and I wanted to get well, so I did a lot of this, so much so that my wife said, Todd, I did not realize you were so insecure. <laughs> I said, I know, I've been hiding from you from that. So, um, <clears throat> but as I, as I kept processing through that, not only did I connect better with other people, invite other people in, but it really transformed my relationship with God and specifically Father God. So Jesus and I were pretty cool. Jesus took care of my guilt and shame, but really it's, it's the Father's love that I, was, that I was seeking, Father's love that my heart was, was desiring. And, and learning how to open up with other people really helped me open up and, and communicate with God and see God in a new way. Uh, I, I found myself in, in more prayer, prayer communities, prayer circles, some prophetic uh, prayer circles where people are listening to God and communicating what God has to say to me. And so I can hear about God is good, but when I experience God is good, it really has changed me in profound ways. And so that has renewed my mind and it's renewed my identity. And my identity in receiving that spirit of sonship that I've moved from performing for my identity to performing from my identity. And I think from a leadership standpoint, as I've as I've learned, I think fathering well or mothering well, I want to use fathering, but mothering as well, is really what 
strong, good leadership looks like. I think it starts in the home and our families and how we, how we allow, uh, uh, just, starting in the, just starting in the families. But in the business world, I think that what's lacking in the business world and the culture out there is really fathering. There's a lot of leadership. There's a lot of managing. There's not a lot of fathering. And so how do we learn how to be fathered so that we can father well? And that's, that's what I've uh, really experienced from a vulnerability standpoint. I think it's important to father first, manage second in the business community. I think a good father creates psychological safety and removes fear from a culture. A good father invites his children or followers to co-create an emerging future. God is a creator. Our Father is a creator. He invites us to co-create. I think that's what businesses are, are there to do. I think that's what good cultures do. I think a, a father wants his ceiling to be the child's floor. And I think that the, the danger if we're performing for our, our identity rather than from it, our, our floor becomes the child or the follower's ceiling. So good followers or good fathers create good culture. I'm going to end with this slide here. This is a, a slide out of a book called Strong and Weak by Andy Crouch. And I thought of uh, David when I was, was thinking of this slide. David was a, was a warrior and, he, and a worshiper. David was a king with authority and a man after God's own heart showing that vulnerability. And I think sometimes we think of leadership and authority is an either or when it comes to vulnerability and so i just what what this book and andy talks about is really it's a yes and it's both and so it's a really easy chart you know if you have high authority no no vulnerability it can be an exploiting culture if you've got all vulnerability and no authority you know, it's really a suffering culture but when you combine the two and you get the right mix of both vulnerability and authority, that's a flourishing culture. And I think that's what great leadership does is it creates a flourishing culture. What I want to end with is just some encouragement. So if you, if you want to change the culture around you, whether it's in your home, whether it's in your business, my encouragement to you is just to start with the culture inside of you. So thank you. I'm just so grateful for, uh, for the stories that were shared, and I'm grateful for you being here because I think when the church is at its best, it's when all of us are, are doing this, when we're, when we're sharing the stories that God has built into our lives with other people, sharing the things that He is doing in you with somebody else, um, because that's where we really get to see the power of God's love transfer from person to person to person, and that's what we're about as a church. So I want to invite you to stand, and we're going to pray together, and uh, the worship team is going to come back out, and we're going to sing one more song. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this time. Thank you for uh, the ways that you allow us to participate in your story, God, uh, that uh, our relationship with you isn't just a one-sided thing, um, but that you're constantly releasing us and equipping us to, to serve you, to serve the world around us with your love and the gifts that you've given us, and, and we're so grateful for that, God. I pray for uh, each one of us, God, in this room and in this church, uh, that you would allow us to see more and more how uh, you've shaped us to impact the world around us. Uh, and that can be from, from one person to another. So I, I just thank you, God, that we get to do that together. I pray for uh, our church going forward that you would continue to show us ways we can be shaping the world around us with your love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.